podcastjuice.net. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Prince Podcast here on podcastjuice.net. My name is Michael Dean, and of course with me today is Mr. Ant Pooh. Sir, how are you? I'm blessed. That's all I can say today. Okay. Stay blessed. I, I can dig that. And uh, wow, this is a this is going to be a great show. Now I know a lot of you. Uh, I, now when I say a lot, I mean a lot uh, have saw uh, the video uh, that we came across of the students from the Gerard uh, College playing Prince songs, particularly "Let's Work," and there was another one, "Starfish and Coffee," and uh, it was to me when I saw that video, it just gave me hope for the future. I was like, you know what? We gonna be all right. These kids are actually playing instruments, but we actually found the man uh, responsible for that video, uh, help teaching these kids. He's here today, so welcome the award-winning teacher, Mr. Paul Eaton, also known as the Funky Man. Sir, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm very glad to be here, and uh, I feel very blessed. Man, let me tell you, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us, uh, especially on the short notice. But that video went viral, man. And I got to tip my hat to you as another as a black man to another black man. Sir, I salute you because uh, we need the teachers. We need men in the schools doing what they do. And you particularly being an artist, a musician, that is a, a, a gift that you are sharing with those kids and passing that sort of that tradition on to them, not to just you know be playing the npcs and but to actually be playing physical instruments actually i salute you man that's job well done on that before we get into anything else i just have to tell you that well thanks you know thank you and i just wanted to give some uh some numbers to what uh mike is saying about it went viral It, it went viral over uh, 3 million people reached, which means that uh, the people that looked at the views, they, they, their uh, whole sphere saw us as well, went into their news feed. 123,000 reactions, 13,000 comments, 21,983 shares, wow. and as of today, 993,000 video views. I think by the end of the day, it will uh, cross a million. Wow, man. I, I hope those kids uh, get, get a chance to see this, and I get, hope they get to hear people are appreciating uh, what they did uh, and celebrating it. So that, that's really cool, man. Um, Paul, man, tell us, let's just start right here. Tell us how uh, this came to be. Um, how, how did you get the kids? What's the, what do you, What's the capacity of what you teach there uh, with the children? Well, this is all uh, a part of my philosophy and and what I teach. So what you're seeing is just sort of a a teeny tiny droplet of what it is that I do. You know, Mm -hmm. I am a firm believer that those who can teach, and that's really what I'm trying to prove and actually sort of change uh, the world of education and who they even hire as music teachers and educators because – those that are really in the field are the ones that can that can really get this kind of result out of any child. I was fortunate enough to have um, wonderful teachers all my life from a guy named Newton Gilchrist, who was my first teacher who got me in the Philadelphia Boys Choir, to Dr. Hamilton in the Philadelphia Boys Choir. Okay. 
uh, the bar was always set high, so that is just where I start. I always t- show the kids what is possible. I never tell them they can't. Mm. So uh, this project is um, really in teaching uh, pop music as part of uh, their music curriculum because the one thing that people don't or fail to realize is that all music at one time was pop music, and that is why it's now it becomes something that's historical, whether it's Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, or Fela Kuti, it, it was pop music of the time, and then it just became something and had a life of its own, and it mm. kept on going. So for this, um, I teach the band students and the choir students and general music as well. So when the kids are learning their instruments, instead of just playing Mary Had a Little Lamb and a couple little <laughs> things, we move on to other to, to to other forms of music that they enjoy because if you keep them engaged, mm-hmm. they will keep moving, you know, because music is communication and that's the whole point of what I'm trying to show the kids. If you can communicate with another instrument, then you guys will do well in your life. It's about their success stories in life and how they can right. navigate success, you know. So um, we... You know, for the the Prince uh, thing, every year we sort of target maybe one or two different artists maybe we want to reach out to, maybe mm-hmm. just, just to say thank you for enriching their lives with, with music that they sort of studied. And then from, from that point on, then we go through finding a couple songs that they want to do um, and doing it. You know, these are songs the kids discovered. Um, and this happened, you know, before Prince's Untimely Death. So we were really just reaching out to say thank you. This wasn't right. a tribute as in to say thank you for your life, but thank you for how you've influenced us. Okay. So, you know, so what you're see- so what you're seeing is is different. They're not they're not doing something in mem- in memoriam. They're doing something in, in it's an it's a it's a live, you know, thank you from their heart. Okay. So that, that makes it different. Yeah. So, yeah, like um, a, so we're celebrating we, him while he's alive. That was one of the big things we, we always say here on the podcast, you know. Yeah, celebrating while he's alive. You know, it wasn't it wasn't something that, oh, now he's gone, now we're gonna go and discover him. They had already discovered him. So in that sense, Prince's music has, you know, had a life while he was living mm-hmm. and it was something that definitely touched them. You know, these are songs they they figured out and I know that um some you know, some folks may even say, Well, wow, you know, well let's work. You know, that song is sort of controversial maybe for children, but the the point was is these kids and the music and the the messages and the music they're listening to today is so much uh I don't know. So uh, we, I don't know if you want to call it worse, but you know, there's so many things that are inappropriate. We talked about that because most of the songs yeah. they listen to when they're singing in the singing in the hallways are so awful. I'm <laughs> right, like, whoa, right. whoa, whoa, <laughs> you know. And I'm just trying to say, you know, because this is for their self-esteem. You know what I mean? And if you're always looking at each other as you know bees and hoes and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and the kind of guy you want is a thug, and you know, meanwhile these are first and second and third graders that are singing these songs that they're exposed to on the outside every day. You know, um, we're like, well, we we got to change that message. You know, we have to change that message and help them to even realize when they're hearing it, sort of that's not what they aspire to. Right. They aspire to something higher. So, but when they found the song "Let's Work," I even showed them like, well, look, you know, um, for some of them, those that were able to handle it, this is what it's talking about. We, this is not the greatest vehicle. I said it's a really funky song and it's awesome, <laughs> but I'm like, you know, so so how else can you spin this in a positive way? You know, and since they're all in school and they were talking about, you know, we're always talking about doing school work and what is possible. Mm. You know, for them. What they're actually even singing about, which is probably what people feel, is they're really talking about, you know, let's get to work, ah, let's be, you know, being a success, right. let's working it out. So that's why the second verse doesn't, isn't there, because the second verse is inappropriate for them, you know. Okay. Um, um, and, they, and they chose, 
you know, that vehicle. So, you know, when we did that one and also Starfish and Coffee, which they saw the Muppets version, okay. there's a couple people that actually <laughs> responded to that saying, hey, that's the Muppets version. No one's, not many people even know about that. I'm like, well, that's how they discovered the song. Wow. You know, so they discovered it through, uh, through the Muppets and through Sesame Street. So, you know, when we, we uh, the, the musicianship part of it is, once again, you know, they're still playing only quite a few notes, you know, mm -hmm. um, they don't have all the notes or know all the notes, but I've never told them they can't, you know, usually when you go to a school, they say, well, you got a few, you know, you have these notes and this is the songs you can play. You got Mary Had Little Lamb, right, you know, right. uh, Oh, Come All You Faithful, or maybe a couple other tunes, but those same notes in any key, you only have about eight notes in any given key, maybe a couple extra accidentals, what they call them, and you can play any song. And so we just worked on the rhythms, put the songs together, and um, I just, you know, built them up a little bit at a time, and we got through all the songs, and they worked together as a unit. So the band supports the choir and vice versa, mm. so they all learn to work together. Wow. So all these things are all experiments, not just experiments, but all these things are lessons for them to be able to, you know, because you don't know where you're going in your life and work. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know if you're going to have to be able to deal with somebody else. So you have to learn how to speak with one another, mm -hmm. cooperate, you know that they're all supporting each other. It's not a singular effort. It's a group effort. And not one of them can be successful of their own right, but they all need to support each other. So there's a lot of messages right. that are being taught, you know, throughout it. So I could go on about that forever. So I know you got other questions. Well, no, I, was, I, I want to just kind of build off what you said. I think that's very important, that whole team building and working together, because as you know, and I know Ant knows, the workplace of today and tomorrow, you know, whether we physically be in the same place or not, that whole team aspect is how things get done. You know, nowadays you have to collaborate with people that may be different places, different personalities, uh, dealing with people. So when you're saying, hey, I, so I, I'm even feeling what you're doing even stronger because, yeah, that was a unit playing together. And they had to come together right. and figure out that song. Okay, how do you do your part? How do I do my part? And I got my man singing, the person's dancing, and it all comes together in this cohesive thing. And the fact that the song is funky as hell, like, so I, I'm a hardcore Prince fan. Somebody said they got kids doing less work. I would be like, okay, well, who? Who's playing the bass? How, how are they going to do that song? Because I, I, I would be like troubled to do that. I mean, nobody can just, you can't just, just do this work, but it just seems so um, effortlessly. It seems so much fun. And I guess to see kids do something like that, it's just mind blowing to me. Because when you look at it, I'm like, I'm actually, this is grooving. I'm like, and they're getting down and they're enjoying it. It looks like they're yeah. having a ball. So, yeah, man, that's that's a oh, beautiful yeah, they had thing. A ball. If, I, if I could piggyback yeah, on what Mike's. I'm sorry, if I could piggyback on what Mike said, is as you play through the video, you see um, you pan around. I'm seeing a xylophone being used to mimic some of some of the uh, musical notes. And then I'm seeing the, the horn section uh, mimicking the sense. And I was just amazed by that, that uh, one at that young age, because some of them look um, 12 and under. And please uh, inform us um, some of the age of the students and just seeing that level of musicianship with the horns and uh, the bass player, which everybody seems to love. I was just like right. blown aback. And that's what made me want to share the video because one, it's a funky song. And then these are just kids that really have near perfected the song performance. Right. Well, this is your. Yeah, you're looking at third through sixth graders. Okay. And most of them have only been playing 
uh, the, 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 most of them have only been playing for about, at that point, seven months to maybe wow. two years at the most. And, you know, for some things that might seem like hard passages, all we do is we start the line and we work it as a line and we work it slowly until we can speed it up to the proper speed. You know, and once again, though, the whole foundation is I've never said to them that they can't. Mm. The first thing I do is just show them the line. We'll, we'll do this and they go, OK. But all those things start with a level of trust. OK. You know, so and the level of trust is, you know, we start at Gerard with our winter concert, you know, or, you know, Christmas and winter concert. And I always tell them, look, if you just trust me, I know it's not necessarily an easy thing, you know, because the kids that we're that I am teaching right here, but it can be any child really, but these kids right here that I have, so a lot of them are underserved, you know, the underserved youth, because that's what Gerard's school and mission is about. They, they're at, it's a boarding school, they're there from Monday to Friday, is showing them another way out of maybe a situation that, that, you know, they may have been in for years and their parents have and their parents have. So trying to break that, break the cycle of poverty within their mind, mm -hmm. not necessarily, you know, in, in the pockets of money, but giving them you know giving them a, a, a much higher self-esteem right. so i have to start with trust so by starting there i just say look if you got to do what i what i ask you i know some things seem silly some things might seem like they're a little bit hard but there's nothing that's impossible and if you do this well you guys will get a standing ovation at the winter concert and and it'll be great you know but if you don't then you don't but let's see what we can do and usually like we just had our concert two nights ago you know it was awesome and uh you have the concert, people give a standing ovation because they're, once again, just like you, they're amazed. Wow, how are they doing this? What's going on? And they see the standing ovation. And at our chapel, our chapel holds about uh, 1,500 to 2,000 people. So that for some of them, that's their first experience on a huge, big stage in a big, grand chapel. And they see and they feel that. Then they go, okay, whatever he says, I'm going to do. From that point on, whatever I show them, they'll work to make it happen because they know it's possible. And that's the mm. foundation of what's going on. All right. Paul, I wanted to ask you about your background and, you know, how you got to where you are right now, you know, mentoring, teaching and motivating uh, children. Now I'm looking at your bio. Now, I mean, actually, are you from Philly, Philadelphia? Yep. I'm from Philadelphia. Yep. Okay. So, uh, and I went to high school performing arts, you know, so I'm a, been a musician pretty much all my life now were you i don't know you know i don't know how old you are but i want to assume were you in philly because i know from i ain't never actually have I, been to philly? I haven't been to philly but when i think of philly i think of the early stuff that i first heard of which was um like steady b uh you know mm -hmm. cool c uh uh three now you work with three times dope the agniculous one est yeah, yep <laughs> Yep, EST. I actually played on uh, one of their one of their albums, uh, "We Got the Knees." I played guitar on that oh, album. Um, I got that. And, uh, you know, Rough House, yep, Rough House Records was, uh, you know, so, still mm -hmm. is, you know, sort of the leader of, of of most of the things that came out of Philadelphia, yep. including you know doing the Fugees and Crisscross and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And uh, I used to have a little another guy that was a mentor of mine, a guy named Mike Tyler. Still is a you know a mentor, but he would uh, when I was eleven and twelve and thirteen, he'd be like, "Yo, man, come on, let's go!" And he would scoop me up, and we just go and sit around at the studio, you know, because he was a studio okay. head. He would just sit around, and when work would come through, they'd be like, "Hey, can you play this?" And you know that's how it started. One time he said, "Well, you know, you know, you know that song." I'm like, "Yeah, I guess I do." And I went and I started and I played it and I ended up on the track and in the cut. And so there's a whole bunch of guys from that area, a guy named Doug Grigsby, a guy named uh, Chuck Treese, and a whole bunch of mm. other folks that were part of Andy Kravitz, who were all part of the 
um, that Philadelphia scene that was the music behind all the hip hop stuff that came out of there. Okay, era. okay, that's what's up, man. Definitely, because uh, I uh, one cut they, those brothers had uh, funky dividends. That was my joint right there, man. I still bump yeah, that. Yeah, man. Est. Um, so, what was what's your uh, instrument of choice? What was like your the one that you locked in with early that you were playing? Yeah, well, my instrument of choice is uh, guitar. Okay. Uh, I play all, at this point now, I pretty much play all instruments. Um, there are a few that I haven't touched, but pretty much all instruments. But guitar is my main instrument. Um, started when I was like uh, seven or eight, and my dad used to sit me on his lap, and I used to, when I was a little kid, and I used to bang on the guitar, and he would make the chords. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's awesome. And then he gave me a guitar and said, "Good, go ahead. <laughs> and ah. so I started from that point, and when I was in the Philadelphia Boys Choir under Dr. Hamilton, I had teachers that always, you know, sort of pushed me, um, and at a very early age with the Boys Choir, I traveled the world. So mm. by the time I was 11, I had been to uh, um, um, Japan, Singapore, Bangkok, Thailand, Denmark, wow. and England, um, sung for the Queen of England, and done a wow. whole bunch of other stuff, But the and the Princess of Thailand, been to Egypt. Um, I met President Anwar Sadat, Damn. Um, and he, you know, he died the next year. But he actually came onto the stage where he wasn't supposed to, because it was a high assassination threat. Came on the stage and gave all the little, you know, all the black kids, gave them a kiss on the cheek and shook their hands and saying, "Thank you for your service." And all these dignitaries during that time all sat down with the kids and made them un- help us to understand that they're no different than anybody else that mm. this was just their station in life and they're grateful for what it is that we had to give and to just realize that and to be able to serve humanity by just realizing that we're all the same and that message stuck with me from a very early age and it carries mm. on and it's part of the message that i give to you know to the kids that people just want to see what it is you have to give mm. and to get them to give their best so from you know from there you know, go to performing arts high school in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, that place has spawned a whole bunch of, you know, talent, mm-hmm. including boys to men. They all came in right after I left. Mm-hmm. And obviously uh, The Roots and Questlove um, was, you know, sort of a friend of mine a little bit. And I know uh, Kirk, Captain Kirk Douglas, a guitar player okay. for The Roots. We played in another band with T.M. Stevens, who is uh, another luminary musician who play, who co-wrote Living in America for James Brown. Mm and stuff like that so i played in his band for a while i've been a guitar player for bo diddley and chuck berry wow. you know when it came through town and with play guitar for Khalees and dawn robinson so i i have been on the international stage in 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 a lot of different areas you know whether i'm singing opera you know because i was there as a vocalist or playing guitar playing heavy metal jazz rock blues sort of do it all i got into teaching because a friend of mine, uh, a guy named Dr. David Timoney, was at Girard College. He saw what I did with the boys' choir, because I was still singing in the men's chorale later on when I got older. He said, mm-hmm. you're great with kids. We need a band teacher. And I'm like, well, I don't, that's not my skill. I don't, you know, that's not how I teach. I teach by example. So, And I don't know all these instruments. He says, well, you can do it. So I asked all my friends who played wind instruments, because my I went to University of Hartford in Connecticut. and um, But I was there for music management, not for music education at the time. So, but uh, I, I asked my friends to show me how to play different instruments, and I learned. And when I first got the job at Gerard, which at, at first I didn't want to do, but I got it, um, I also always in, inspired the kids by saying, look, I'm learning just like you. It's going to be your goal to be able to play this instrument better than me before the end of the year. You know, um, and they were like, all right, and they took the challenge, and that's how I always inspired them to to do great things. You know, so that's sort of a... 
quick and dirty of the who and what and where. Uh, you do know, you I mind? Guess. You mind if I ask you how old are you, man? Uh, fifty. Fifty. Okay, so you're in the same same age era then. Um, I want to go back to because again, this is important for a lot of our listeners. We have a lot of men. Obviously, it was men, but I'm talking to our people right now. I'm talking to uh, my fathers out there, which I am one as well. You said something, the spark to me that I picked up. You said your dad, he gave you what now? Did he give you your first instrument? Yep, he gave me a guitar. And, uh, you know, first, you know, he was always instrumental in my life, even though my parents mm-hmm. uh, had divorced. I never knew what that was because okay. I always saw my dad and he was always there. Speak on so, that. yes. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, was a, he was an instrumental figure, as, 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 you know, in my life. He was a father. Like, you know, you, you when you go to school, sometimes you see people who got both the parents and I was talking about my mom and my dad. I never felt like I was in a broken home because my dad was always there. And even if they mm-hmm. were together, he was working at night. You know, he used to work two different jobs as a printer. And I would just see him when I would have seen him anyway. So I saw him on the weekends. we hang out and... I almost sort of used to hate it when I was younger because we plop in the car. First thing you do is drop an atlas in my lap and be like, all right, what's the capital of? I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, but later on, you know, I appreciated that as well as him always teaching me, you know, that I need to learn how to think and, and, and rationalize on my own. Mm. And he always talked about common sense, you know, and, um, you know, these are all little things that when you're a kid, you go, man, why you, I just want to go and get a toy, you right. know, to the point where if I wanted the new G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip, he'd be like, yeah, well, how much is that? I'd be like, $6. He's like, all right, what else can you get for $6? I'm like, oh, come on, man. I was like, well, you can you can buy like, you know, 10 bags of rice and two things of bread. I had to go shopping and know what the price was because he wanted me to understand about money and about mm-hmm. government and about all these things. So there were always life lessons. So that just that's just who I am from what I've been exposed to. And the kids that I serve, you know, um, many of them just, it's just not there and they don't have mm-hmm. it, you know? So mm-hmm. for me, it's a, it's a, that's like a tertiary mission. And it just runs in my background is to, you know, to me, all these kids are my kids, right? you know, even though I have my own daughter, my daughter, Olivia, she's 11 and she's wonderful. Um, the love and joy of my life that, um, these are all still my kids and they, you know, they're just as important, you know, to me. And I'm always reaching out to, especially to all the young, young brothers and all the young boys, because I want them to be that same figure for their parent, you know, mm-hmm. for their kids when they, when they have them, mm-hmm. you know, so wow. okay. it's a lot. And then you had, um, and I'm sorry if I don't remember all their names, but you, you mentioned uh, some of the people who mentored you or who may have pushed you. Give me some of those names again. It was doctor, a couple of doctors in there, I think. Yeah, there was there was a uh, uh, first. It was Newton Gilchrist from Germantown Stevens Academy. Okay. He was like my, one of my first music teachers. Um, where I did when I was in third grade, I did this play called Oliver, and I don't really remember much of it, but a couple of lines. But uh, you know, I heard that I was wonderful in it and great and all that mm. kind of stuff. But then he got me onto the boys' choir, where there was Doctor Robert Hamilton, Robert G. Hamilton, from the boys' choir, and he was another you know he was another maverick of his time. You know, graduating high school at like 15 and going to college and being, wow. you know, magna cum laude and all that kind of stuff. So he was a, you know, maverick in Philadelphia. And he started the boy, the Philadelphia Boys Choir and traveling the world with all these young, you know, young kids from the ages of seven to 13. Because, you know, by the time you're 12 or 13, your voice changes. So, you know, I, I have always seen kids perform music at a high level. Okay. To me, that's not, there's not, you know, age has nothing to do with performing at a high level. 
and maybe that's another you know maybe that's something else that that helps the kids do what you achieve what they achieve you know so there's him and then from there um there was uh mr king mr david king at performing arts high school who was my high school music teacher at performing arts mm. and then there's so many others you know once i went to university of hartford i studied under jackie mclean who was uh the the uh he was the dean of African-American studies at University of Hartford. He was a jazz saxophonist that was second to none and was compared with Charlie Parker because he actually used to sit in for Charlie Parker when Parker was like, you know, a little bit too strung out or couldn't couldn't hang when he was a kid. Wow. So I think a lot of their experiences, you know, just sort of all culminate into what it is, you know, that I do. And I just remember the one lesson from him when I was a kid at, at uh, the university I'd be sitting there, you know, every once in a while when you're, especially when you're a teen or a, or a young adult, you go, oh, I got this. I think I got it. I know what I'm doing. And he said something to me and I was like, yeah, well, I know this and I know that. And he said, he said something to me, he said, boy, you don't know nothing until you can play giant steps with your hands on the desk. And I, I can do that, you know, and um, he just threw that little, that little tidbit out there and just let it, you know, marinate. And I was just like, all right, great. But I'd never heard Giant Steps because I wasn't a jazz major. I was a, you know, I, I sang opera and all that stuff at the time. I went back home, listened to the song, and I was like, okay, great. And till this day, almost any musician who knows it will tell you that Giant Steps is a lifelong, it's a lifelong struggle for any and every musician because it takes you through the circle of fifths, um, and the chords change every two bars. Hmm. And if you're some, somebody who studies who studies jazz, you know that every chord you play has a whole different set of notes that you can use and play. But the song moves so fast that you pretty you pretty much have only two beats to get those five or six notes in before the chord changes, and then the entire tonal center changes, and then it does it all over again, and it moves. So it's a, it's a lifelong thing. So what actually what he was saying was almost a ridiculous statement, but because I didn't even understand the song. He made me go and look something, look at something that would take my entire life mm. to struggle with. So, wow. the, you know, so I do the same thing. That's just what I do. Yeah, man. Um, what, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. One question I have is, you know, our perception of what's going on in our schools is that the arts, particularly music, is being uh, removed, or there just isn't the quote unquote budget. Um, at your school, do you find it? Um, uh, did you find it difficult getting students involved with the uh, the, uh, the music band? Is that a requirement? And if it and if there wasn't a requirement, um, what is it like trying to get them actively into the music? Right. Well, that, that, there's two parts to that question. The first thing is that um, our school has. Um, they have decided to keep music in the school as a career. You know, I'm also the. Uh, the uh, department chairman for the fine arts there and they have decided to keep the fine arts in the curricular day as an important part of education of a holistic education um, um and I've, 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 i'm there on a daily basis trying to make sure that they understand that point at all times you know what i mean that by music being communication you learn how to speak well and how to be able to communicate emotion and all those other kind of things music is history because when you study music at different time periods you understand the stories of the people during that time music is mathematics yeah. because it you know when it's you know when you're playing in different time signatures and everything else, you learn all that stuff. Music is science, mm. um, and the fact of you know sound and sound waves and how they move and frequencies. So it's it, it runs through every subject matter, pretty much at all times. And it's the it's the 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 linking it, it's the the linking stuff between everything that's there. And without it, you have doctors who have horrible bedside manner because they can't tell a good story. And mm. 
And if you can't tell a good story to someone who's terminally ill, they may not last the next few weeks. If you're, it, it makes you a horrible attorney because if you can't tell a story and convince the uh, the jurors that someone isn't or isn't guilty or paint the picture of someone that's really struggling, then you can't win your case. You know, so no matter how you paint it, or you know whether it's visual art or anything else, it's an integral part. So that's the first step. By the school knowing that that's important they support it so we have a general music program from first to eighth grade and then even in ninth and twelfth is then it becomes an elective um the second thing is the kids all you know by being something that they do generally you have the opportunity to expose them to all types of music and and if you're using it in that way they're learning history they're learning about other world cultures they're learning um sensitivity um of all races and ethnicities and time periods because they study music and sing in all different languages. You know, we may sing in three or four different dialects of Chinese and Spanish and French and German and, and everything else and all the little folk songs when they're little kids. And then they start learning instruments. So the in the classroom, they all play hand percussion. They all get piano lessons. So they're, they all love it. And even if it's not something that they're going to be highly talented at, they all have the opportunity to learn how to communicate with their voice and with another instrument. So it's not an issue or trying to get the kids to want to play because from the very from first grade on, it's a part of what they do almost on a daily basis. Wow. Give us a little background on uh, Gerard College, because um, I, I just looked at the video initially and I'm like, to me, I was like, oh, OK, this is a black school. All our kids is in there, and they're on a higher level. But but give us a little background. It's an interesting background to this uh, particular school. Yeah, it's an interesting background. Yeah, uh, Gerard College, uh, which is actually a first through twelfth grade boarding school, founded in like eighteen forty eight, is a um, was a school that was founded by Stephen Gerard, who at the time was the fifth richest man in America. He helped start one of the first corporate banks, which is the Gerard Bank, and um, also was it was instrumental in. Um, creating the first federal banks and federal reserves in Philadelphia. He was instrumental in, 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 in uh, sort of like striking down yellow fever in, uh, in Philadelphia um, during that time when it was actually killing people left and right and people were fleeing the city because there was no cure. You know? and he, so um, as far as being a Philadelphian, he was sort of pretty you know, important guy um, and he was a merchant seaman. And upon his uh, death, he said, I want to, you know, um, even helping to fund the War of 1812 and a bunch of other stuff, seeing so many uh, boys without fathers after all the war that was going on, he decided he wanted to build a school um, to uh, to educate the men of the next generation because he knew that a strong country needed strong men as leaders, and that was just during his time. So then the school was, was formed for orphan white males. It was actually a school that was just available to in in his will will for white orphan boys um and it uh, lasted until uh the mid-60s when a guy named cecil b moore decided to march around the walls and got dr martin luther king involved in it so martin luther mm-hmm. king and cecil b moore came to the school and said hey you know this is like the last you know bastion of racism having right in smack dab in the middle of philadelphia a school that's available only for white boys right here in the middle of North Philadelphia, which at the time, um, which used to be a very, uh, used to be the suburbs and then used to be sort of a rich uh, white area, was now all black, you know, because uh, in Philadelphia, once 
at once one ethnic group moved in, another one moved out. Everybody would always mm-hmm. shift around and move through the city. So by that time, North Philadelphia was pretty much all black. And you're like, well, how is this institution smack dab in the middle of where we live and we can't even go here? And if, if it's four people who, who, are, uh, who are underserved and don't have any money, why can't we come in? And so that was their... You know, that was their struggle. And they went and marched around the walls. And, you know, they were, you can read, you can, you know, Google and read more about the situation. Um, but Cecil B. Moore found out uh, a way um, around the will and they ratified the will and they made it available for all colors. Okay. Well. In the 60s. And, and by 1987, then they started admitting girls. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, so there's actually, a, it's actually, um, there, there are all races and and girls and boys there now. You know, right now it's majority African American, but um, you know it's it's open and available to all, to and it's still a boarding school. Okay. Yep. So it was everybody, and it's still a boarding school. But because right now the, we don't have weekend program, the kids do go home on the weekends. They used to stay there seven days a week, but now they go home on the weekends. Oh, okay. So it has made it so that that um, the kids that go there are pretty much in the tri-state area because they have to they have to travel home on the weekends. Wow. Before we had a weekend program, so the kids would be as from as far as Texas and down in Florida and all mm. that kind of stuff. But since they have to go home each weekend now, because uh, the school was having some financial difficulties uh, in the past, um, that uh, they couldn't support the weekend program. So it, it just, it just, uh, it. you know, the, the circle of where the kids are from are smaller. Yep. All right. Well, let me say this, and I'm, we'll, we'll double down on it at the end. But for all those millions of people who have seen this video, for all of our listeners, listen. You know, I'd be on the donation train, but this this right here, this is what I want you guys to donate to. So I'll give the links, but we want to make sure we go to GerardCollege.edu. There's a support button on there. Go on there and you can make a gift. I see there's ways to give. I want all my listeners, wh- whatever it is, we, this is the type of stuff that we want to support. Uh, so we want to make sure that we go and give some money to this. I'm not talking, when I we're going to give some money. That's what we do. Uh, so we want to support this because these are... You know, people like Paul stepping up and teaching these kids. And we see the uh, outcome of all the work. I'm sure there was a lot of work that went into that video. We just saw the the end result, which was spectacular. And this is the we always talk about how come we don't have this or or with it. Hey, they're doing it. So if they need some help, then this is the type of stuff that we contribute to. So I'm going to make I'm just saying it right now because I want you to remember this is what we're going to do. We'll talk about it again at the end. But just to be clear, we want to help out and support movements like this. So we're definitely going to put something down on that. Um, Paul, I got to ask you, of course, this is the Prince podcast. What uh, what does Prince mean to you? I, I assume you are a fan of his music. Um, but what does oh, Prince yeah. mean to you? Yeah. Well, no doubt. I mean, he was one of, outside of Jimi Hendrix and... It's, it's odd, but outside of Jimi Hendrix and and Mozart, you know, and a few others, they were uh, the one of the most influential people in my life. You know, mm. him, Stevie Wonder, and I mentioned Mozart because he was composing by the age of three, and he was still also a showman. Um, and somebody even like Little Richard, who was also a showman. Mm. You know, and Jimi Hendrix, who played in Little Richard's band, who was also a showman. You know. Uh, some of these same exact influences were all Prince's influences. When I was a kid, seeing him do all these things, playing all the instruments, 
um, dancing and rocking out for me, seeing someone during that time, seeing someone else who was black, right. you know, with long hair. Cause when I was younger, you know, my hair was just like that, you know, <laughs> um, I don't have any hair right now, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> we've all been there, but, um, you know, yeah, and seeing Join that, I was like, man, you know, that, that is what inspired me and got me going. And in Philadelphia, there was actually sort of a, a whole, we act, Purple Rain actually lived itself out in Philadelphia for us. I used to have a band called PM and the New Breed. And there's another friend of mine um, named Strawberry, had a band called the Strawberry Affair. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and so was, there were about three other bands. And we used to all go and uh, play these clubs like J.C. Dobbs and stuff like that. And um, everybody was just watching it unfold as we would go and compete with one another and just do Purple Rain over and over again, mm -hmm. but with original music. So because of Prince, we also got into composition. So it mm -hmm. wasn't us playing Purple Rain by playing Purple Rain. We played Purple Rain by having the spandex on and the hair and everything else, right. playing our own original music um, and all gaining fans and still all being part of the same movement that he created even then. You know, so he means, he meant a lot to, to all of us, you know. There's a guy named Xavier X who will always do things by himself um, that was out there. And then there's so many other bands that uh, were even the, the next generation right after us that played that created that scene in Philadelphia. So he means uh, a lot to us. And, you know, that's also why I'm a multi-instrumentalist because I saw that anything was possible. And mm -hmm. I viewed that an instrument was just what the definition means. It's a tool for whatever you're doing your job for. So it was never a there was never some a barrier as to why I couldn't learn an instrument because if I'm a musician then I should be able to play all instruments because it's just a tool so I had to learn how to use the tool and seeing Prince do that seeing uh Stevie Wonder do that I realized hey that's not unattainable it actually is very attainable so you know you know therein lies you know my influence with Prince and he has been there um in my life pretty much through every step I don't think there's an album that I missed Okay. <laughs> you know? Wow. Well, well, if if you could, I want I won't narrow it down to one because that could be hard. But what would like to be your top three, just top of mind choice albums of Prince? Hmm. Well, I like the uh, I like the early stuff because he he that's when I heard the rock influences. So you know, Prince and For You and Dirty Mind. Okay. Those are that's that's sort of where it was that I lived, and then listening and playing and hearing the time stuff mm. and all and hearing his producing credits. Yeah, you know, because from then, you know, I ended up I think it was three years ago I played a show with Jesse Johnson, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, so we you know we played together in some different stuff, and um, it helped move that whole heavy movement for me because there's a band called Twenty Four Seven Spies, um, and Jimmy Hazel, the guitarist, is a great friend of mine, and that's you know, all this music that you that we're all now talking about help move that next generation of, mm. of uh, if you want to call it black rock, including Living Color. You know, mm -hmm. Vernon, Vernon Reed is a good friend of mine, um, and we've played together. Um, there's just a lot of, you know, all that stuff. He, Prince has, has been the catalyst for so much of so many that much of even black America is unaware of because when the black rock movement really started, unless you were on the fringe, you didn't even realize that it was happening. Mm. You know, um, even to the point where people look at Rage Against the Machine like that, which is a rap group, and you look at them and you go, oh, that's a white rap rock group. And it's like, no, those are all like Cubans and uh, Spanish kids and Afro-Cuban kids. So there's, you know, you know, by American standards, they're still black. 
Right, right. <laughs> you know, so this is all still black music, but it's not in the mainstream. It's not on an R&B station. So many have tuned out and checked out and don't realize that, that it exists, but it's still us, you know, and that's where I live. So those early albums are the best for me. Obviously, you know, I used to love Under the Cherry Moon because of all the piano stuff. Mm. Um, and obviously, everybody loves the song Kiss and that kind of thing. But um, I love that album and, and I love the movie. You know what I mean? Okay. After Purple Rain, seeing that Under the Cherry Moon was something that was great. Um, and then there were just so many other things. I mean, you can go on forever because right. this catalog is so vast. Let, you know, me, so me, that's me, another two hour conversation. Take you back to because you mentioned Jesse. I'm a huge fan of Jesse. But and I think you, you, you could probably shed some light on this. But talk to me about that period of. You know, because back when my from where I was from, it was always a battle of who was better, uh, Prince, the, the time, or or Jesse. You know, one time for it shifted to between the Prince and Jesse sort of thing. And back then, we had no idea to know that Prince was doing. I didn't know Prince was doing the the, the time music at the time it came out. But that right. that music was so strong. Their whole vibe was like dominated everything you mentioned it you know cats we was dressing like that we, everybody had their hair right. uh and i think it's and i say this because i want some of the younger listeners to really understand like the influence because and you see it in movies like um it was illustrated great and straight out of compton you can see like that early uh nwa before it became nwa but they were so influenced by prince you know just that whole mm-hmm. thing and how they looked but where you was coming up, I mean, you mentioned Jesse. I mean, were you like really into that Minneapolis sort of funk sound and the dress and just the whole allure of it all? Oh yeah, we were definitely we were definitely into it. And and I know that there may or may not be much that's out there, but if people Google or or do whatever the Strawberry Fair or PM in a Newbury, they may see some of that. You'll still see it in my okay. band now, Funky Man. You know, spelled with a PH. Um, uh, that you can, that you'll still see all those influences, you know, on the on the uh, videos on my uh, on my uh, website on 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 the YouTube on link, you'll still see all that stuff. All those influences are all there. The way we dress, the way you act, all that kind of stuff was all a part of it. But, but because we were all musicians, we knew that Prince was producing all that stuff, and we knew that even that like Morris Day himself was a drummer, and he was the original drummer for the time. He wasn't the vocalist; he was the drummer, mm-hmm. and they pulled you know and they pulled him out, you know. And um, that's even I think uh, on the Black album, Chlorine Bacon Skin is even was uh, is part of. Um, I think it's part of one of the nicknames they used to actually, you know, uh, give Morris at the time. And I think that's Morris on the drums playing on Chlorine Bacon Skin. Yeah, on Crystal you know, so Ball. A, on so, Crystal Ball, yeah. Yeah, oh, because, yeah. Oh, well, the first time it came out was on the Black album, I think. No? Yeah, so it's, um, <laughs> I think, good. I'm not quite sure. I got to go back and look and listen. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, I de- was definitely into it, definitely into the dress. Um and, and all aspects of it, you know what I mean? It really, when I say it influenced us in our lives, it influenced everything that we did. Yeah. Uh, l- last question here, unfortunately. One, two, two quickly. Uh, one, did you ever get to meet Prince? And uh, when was the last Prince concert you saw? Um, no, I never got the chance to meet Prince. Um, and that was, that, that was something else. From being in the boys' choir and all that stuff and seeing musicians and dignitaries at a very young age, I stopped being a fan of people, and I started looking at them as peers and mentors, even if I'd mm-hmm. never met them. And it was always one of my dreams to be able to 
to play with, you know, Prince. That's why it means so much to have been able to play with Jesse Johnson. Right. And even when I played with like Bo Diddley, it means a lot. And I always really wanted to, and I never had, you know, never had a chance to really meet him. And that was something that the kids were actually even hoping to do through the video right. was to get him to come and visit the school and maybe in, impart some knowledge on him. Cause I also explained to the kids that anything is possible and let's just throw it out there and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So that's what, that's another, that's another, you know, message in that video. Um, so uh, the last concert that I think, I, unfortunately, the last concert I saw was uh, the Love Sexy when I was in college. Oh, okay. All right. That was, the, that was the last one that I saw. Nice. Right, so when she leaves playing drums. Quite the show. <laughs> yes. All right. I well, love that show. Yes, Mr. Paul, again, man, I really want to thank you for blessing us with your stories and, and the journey of everything that's happened. And again, man, I didn't get to name down all the awards, but... Uh, what I see, teacher of superhero or teacher of the year. I mean, man, your accolades speak uh, out there, man. You are definitely doing the work and we need, continue to need brothers like yourself. Uh, and you're an inspiration to me, man, because uh, I need to be trying to get out here and in any way that I can service children myself, man. So I really, like I said, I really appreciate you sharing this with us, man. Oh, anytime, man. You know, the, the children are, I know they always say the children are the future, but, you know, our, our job as educators is to teach them to be able to solve the problems that do not yet exist. Mm. You know, so if we teach them how to problem solve, then our world will be, will be better for ourselves and for them. You know, so that's the, that's the point. Man, I'm going to take that one. Figure out the problems before they <laughs> exist. All right, All right Yoda. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the level. <laughs> well, uh, Paul, where can they find you online? People want to reach out to you. Where can they find you online? Uh, I think, uh, is my YouTube either PM Eton? Uh, yeah, it's either PM Eton or you can search Funky Man, spelled with a P-H, P-H-U-N-K-Y, M-A-N. Um, I have uh, a, a records label called Hunter Gabriel Records, uh, and you, they can find me there. Right. You can find me on Facebook, on, you know, under PM Eaton, or either Funky Man as well there. So you can just Google it, and pretty much all my contacts will come up. For those that are on LinkedIn, it's, you know, it's, uh, I think it changed to Paul E-Time, but either Paul or PM. Link up anyway there. You know, I'm trying to, you know, raise money to be able to uh, help get my curriculum and, and get a book and all that kind of stuff that's already in work now to be able to teach others how to do what it is oh. that I do so that we can empower the next generation. And well, that's what we're doing. Where can they go to support you with that raising money? Is that on your LinkedIn or? Um, it's, it's just a be it's just a beginning now. So the, okay. probably by the end of the week, there'll be a, a, a tab. I mean, for those that are, you know, are really fast and so inclined, obviously, um, looking up Paul Eton uh, or Funky Man under, you know, PayPal is there, but you know, I'd, I'd wait maybe till uh, something was set up, you know, sure. so that it gets where it's supposed to. Say, so say no more. Then, when you get that, email yep. that to me, and I will make sure to push that out to all the listeners so we can get that. Oh, you got it, man. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, man, uh, Mr. Ampoo, where can they find you online, sir? Find me at uh, Twitter and Instagram at Ampoo. All right, and of course, you can find Podcast Juice at podcastjuice.net. Also, princepodcast.com. On Twitter, it's at Podcast Juice. On Facebook, it's Podcast Juice. And if you want to hit me up directly again, at MDean on uh, Twitter. Also, Michael at podcastjuice.net. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, Gerard College. 
www.edu. We're going to go over there to support. And we're also going to support Paul and his endeavor and what he's got going on. So that's because that's what we do. As I always say on this show, work it like a job. We'll see you yeah. next time. Peace. Mm-hmm.